I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. You can hire people that look different, act Mm. different, but if you don't make it an inclusive environment, they don't participate at their full level or they leave, Mm. or you're not getting the best value out of their minds. Florence Hudson is highly educated, having attended Princeton, Harvard, and Columbia universities, as well as an accomplished executive with an impressive background in global technology in many areas. Her confidence and energy are contagious. She says women must believe in themselves when others may not believe in them. We discuss microaggressions against women. Florence began her own consulting company, FD Hint, which focuses on diversity and inclusion in advanced technologies. Enjoy listening to Florence Hudson. Thank you, Florence, for being here today on my podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Susan. Thank you so much for providing this for the broader community. Yes, thanks. You have a very interesting background, very interesting experience, and uh, you were with uh, IBM for many years. You have a degree from Princeton. You studied at Harvard and Columbia. Just if you could take a few minutes, just talk about your your experience. What uh, tell us about your career? Sure. So um, I was originally an aerospace and mechanical engineer, and that all started when I was a little girl. And I used to watch the Apollo missions take off with my brother, who's really my uncle. I'll get to that. And um, and I, I remember I was like two or three, and I would be sitting there with my little Bugs Bunny doll, which I loved because it talked. That was a long time ago. It was cool. <laughs> and, um, and I remember watching, thinking, gosh, that's so cool. And then I think I was around three, and I remember thinking, how do they do that? And that's when they say you become an engineer, when you want to figure out how. You know, when you look at things, you want to know how it works, how it could work better. Um, so I, uh, I went to Princeton. I was a mechanical and aerospace engineer. I was a Grumman scholar. And so I worked at Grumman on uh, the space shuttle program, on solar power satellites, on the first Internet of Things application, as I call it, when we put the electronics into the Navy aircraft many years ago um, so they could communicate with each other. And, um, and then after that, I, um, I was at NASA and I worked on future missions around Jupiter, uh, which was a lot of fun. We were looking mm-hmm. at sample return missions from Callisto and Ganymede. Now they're going to go to Europa. We could always talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was at HP for a little while, IBM for many years. I was a VP and a chief technology officer. Then I retired, uh, funked retirement, got my pension, and, <laughs> and uh, went to become a senior vice president and chief innovation officer at a little firm called Internet2, working with research and education. Flunked retirement again, and now I have my own firm, um, FD Hint, which stands for Florence D. Hudson International, but it's kind of hidden if you don't know me very well. Um, and I do um, consulting in advanced technologies and diversity and inclusion. So that includes diversity and inclusion workshops for commercial enterprises, government labs, um, higher education institutions, and then advanced technology. Um, I'm actually speaking tonight at a women corporate directors event in New York City on artificial intelligence. So I work in that area. Big data and analytics. I work with Columbia University and the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub there on uh, collaborating with the European Union on next generation internet. 
I work in connected healthcare blockchain uh, for the Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at Indiana University, funded by the National Science Foundation. And um, I'm also an editor and author of a number of uh, chapters and a book that just came out last year called Women Securing the Future with Tips for IoT, mm. which is a framework I've been developing for a number of years um, with uh, the Institute for Electrical and Electronic Engineers, IEEE. Um, and TIP stands for Trust, Identity, Privacy, Protection, Safety, and Security all the things you have to worry about and every human has to worry about with connected wearable devices, autonomous vehicles, anything, because everything is discoverable and hackable. And so we have to protect it. Mm -hmm. um, and now I have a new book um, that I'm under contract with Springer Nature on for women securing the future with tips for connected healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I'm busy and I love it. Um, I'm basically a geek and a nerd at heart, <laughs> uh, but I was also co-captain of the kick line. So I'm a rocket scientist and a cheerleader in that kind of sums me up. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, there's a lot there. I mean, uh, incredible uh, experience and um, you're very bright. Uh, I understand the engineering uh, uh, thing about trying to figure out how things work. My husband's an engineer, so I've been married a long, long time to him. And so I understand, I think, the engineering uh, personality. Yeah, we're annoying, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> at times you are, but, uh, you know, just because I'm not an engineer, I'm just um, more of a bottom line it, uh, don't tell me how to make a clock if I ask you what time it is kind of thing. Well, the good news is we can make it for you and we can make a better one for you. <laughs> yes, so. I am aware. <laughs> we'll worry about all that stuff for you. <laughs> I am aware. Um, but you had an impressive background, very male-dominated um, uh, industry, and I want to talk to you about the inclusion part of this and what you're doing today. Uh, it's not surprising, just based on what all you've accomplished, that you flunked retirement. Yeah, right? I just, you know, I never planned to retire. That was never something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I hope to keep going, you know, yeah. and once you get into writing and editing, you could do that, you know, forever. You forever. Could Right. Sit, you know, with a little blanket on your knees mm -hmm. and uh, do it forever. So I'm right. kind of excited about that. Yeah, no. I'm going to check out your book. I will put it on my website, leadingshe.com, and make sure that uh, women see it as well. How's that? Thank you very much. Very thoughtful. Good. So uh, we're going to get into your career and talk about that. Um, but uh, I'd like to hear about your background, where you grew up, uh, siblings, family. Tell me a little bit about, about that. Um, just sure. study history there. Yeah, so I have an interesting history. So um, when I talk, I usually talk about getting over the speed bumps in life. And my first speed bump was day one. Uh, my mother actually uh, died the day I was born. Mm. And my father left and he didn't want to bring me up. So he sold me to my grandparents, my mother's parents. And um, when you say sold you, what do you mean? So they had to give him money for me. It was like when you adopt a child mm. and you have to give money. So they had to uh, give him money. And my grandfather actually refused to ever tell me how much it was because he didn't mm. want me to think there was like a price on my life. Wow. I eventually found out. And uh, after my grandmother passed away, they both passed away. I found the papers, the adoption papers, the lawyers from the, the letters from the lawyers. Pretty amazing. So anyway, um, so when I came into this world, I was alone. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so um, what keeps me going is a number of things. One is I realize that all I really have is me and God. That's how I see life. Hmm. 
and everything else is gravy. <laughs> everything else is a cherry on top. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been very religious. Um, I don't, you know, wear it on my sleeve, but I'm usually, you know, a lector. I'm a Eucharistic minister. I sang in the choir, you know, so I'm very involved um, from that perspective. It gives me comfort um, because it was, you know, an interesting journey. So I was in the, in the hospital for a few months until they figured out all the paperwork. And, um, and so when my grandparents legally adopted me, my uncles became my brothers and my aunt became my sister. But because we were a traditional Italian family, uh, since my sister was already married with three kids, I called her my, my Aunt Tina and I called her brothers my brothers. So everyone always thought I was a little slow. <laughs> so we would, we would be out. Oh, well, you somewhere. proved them wrong there. <laughs> well, you know, I remember we were out somewhere and, uh, and God bless my sister. She always called me here. So she said, oh, this is my sister, Florence. And I said, Antina. And I remember this guy looked at her like, oh, she's a little slow, isn't she? The little <laughs> and it was because that was the deal. And then when I was in college and she didn't, you know, she was married with five kids by then, never, never um, drove. And I drove her to the mall and we were mm -hmm. talking one day. And I vividly remember this too. We were walking into Macy's and I said, yeah. Can I call you Tina, my sister? She said, I've always called you that, which is mm. very sweet because she lost her sister. Mm -hmm. You know, that was my mother. She lost her when I came along. So, mm -hmm. so I've had a very interesting um, beginning and, and forever. I'm used to being different because I was always different. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. You know, like yeah. I would be in a meeting and uh, let's say, you know, in the chairman's office at IBM or something in their conference room. And I would, and my, my sister-in-law, I would tell her about, you know, what I could talk about. And she'd say, were you the only woman in the room? And I would go, Hmm, you know, I really had to think about it because I don't bother mm -hmm. thinking about that. Right. Um, you know, there's no value in it really. Um, you know, being an aerospace engineer, you yeah. know, very small club women, aerospace engineers. Yeah. Well, let's go back to, um, uh, that's an interesting, I, I know about your mother dying when you were born. Uh, I didn't know that your, I don't know that I knew that your father left. So that's a very interesting start to life. You don't have, uh, I assume you don't have siblings. Is that right? And so how did, how did that experience mother died when you were born, father left and your grandparents um, adopting you? How does that molded your life? It sounds like you're talking about it now. Like you have felt alone. Maybe, maybe it's been isolating. I don't know. You tell me. Well, um, I'm very blessed that my grandparents took me in or I would never have known my family. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have been a foster child that went from home to home. I could have been abused. I mean, so many things could have happened if I wasn't with the people that loved me. Mm -hmm. So I was very, very fortunate. And that's how I always look at it is mm -hmm. there's such a blessing in my life. Yeah. So I do have my family. It's just that there's kind of like a little hump in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Are, um, you, are you in touch with your father or have you been in your life? No, he passed away and um, he never reached out. Actually, um, he got word to my grandmother when I was graduating from high school and that he wanted to come to my graduation because I was salutatorian and I was going to be doing a speech. Mm. And I said, now he wants to take credit for this. <laughs> Seriously, I'd never met him in my life. So I said, well, why don't you get word to him that if he wants to get together for a cup of coffee at the diner first, I have a few questions. Mm -hmm. And he ran at the beginning, of course, that never happened. But then the day of my graduation, it was outside on the football field. And I looked up and there was a man standing outside the gate, but watching. Mm -hmm. And um you know, I think that might have been him. Mm -hmm. um, and then my daughter was 
kind of very interested in, you know, understanding that she was doing family studies in college and they had to do a family tree and there's this whole dangling participle, you know, like this whole <laughs> blank area, which she noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, she actually found his obituary a couple of years ago. And okay. So, so you um, never talked to him. You never really met him. Is that right? No, nope, never met him. Okay. Family, nothing. Nope. Okay. So no, I'm uh, so I've always been kind of alone. Uh, Mm -hmm. but part of a family I'm very fortunate to be part of, but, but different from the beginning. So being different going through my life is okay. Cause I'm used to it. You know, being the only woman in aerospace engineer, Mm -hmm. being the only woman in a meeting, I'm like, whatever, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm okay with it. I get it. And then you, you were married and have children of your own. Is that right? I do. I've been married, um, for quite a while. I have two kids in their Mm twenties. Actually, my son is going to come to my panel tonight at the Women Corporate Directors meeting. They said, you know, it's all women. I'm like, yeah, I'm a woman. He's used to us, so it's okay. Right. Um, but there's a man on the panel, too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they both work in Manhattan, thank God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So We're going to talk about your male-dominated field. Um, but one thing that you told me when we talked is that uh, you are the first in your family to have gone to college. Mm-hmm. And um, but you've worked in some very sophisticated environments, IBM, Grumman, you know, Princeton, Harvard. I mean, what did you what would advice would you give around what you learned at bringing not having gone to college, not seeing an example of an executive? How did you learn this? How did you, you know, train yourself to be an executive in these companies uh, and, and bring yourself up to that level of, uh, you know, sophistication? Yes, you know, that's a challenge for a lot of us who are first in our family, or maybe some some of my friends are the only one in their family that went to college, um, their next generation, their children are now going to college. What I would say is find people that can teach you, mm-hmm. you know, look around and find role models. I remember they put me on executive resources at IBM. I was like, what's that? You know, I didn't know what an executive was. My grandfather was a plumber and my grandmother was a cafeteria lady. <laughs> and I had a brother who was a plumber, a, a sister who was a stay-at-home mom and another brother in the Navy. I'm like, I don't, what's an executive? Really? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they explained, I was like, okay, you know, I was trying to figure it out. Like, oh, like them. And then I, and then there was a woman my husband worked for and she looked like me. Mm. Um, she had like the little, like, you know, Dorothy Hamill hairdo that was in back then. Mm-hmm. And she was nice and approachable and smart and successful. She and was looked, an Olympic skater, right? Dorothy oh, Hamill. Yeah, a lot of people don't. She had a cute little haircut. She mm-hmm. was an Olympic skater, very fancy. Right. And so, um, I looked at her and thought, wow, if she could do it, I could do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So find role models like that, mm-hmm. you know? that are like you whatever like you means it could be they look like you it could be they come from the same area that you do mm-hmm. it could be they sound like you they act like you whatever someone that you can identify with they go wow if they can do it I can do it and mm-hmm. so that helped me a lot and then my mentors um, and coaches uh, throughout my life you know mm-hmm. sometimes you know um, it takes a while to catch on to um, a lot of the aspects of being an executive yes um, and we're all different. We all have different ways and we don't all fit. Like I said, I'm used to not fitting. So um, when other people require you to fit, it can be difficult. Um, but, you know, I was able, thank God, to get through it. And I was on a corporate board mm-hmm. um, and um, I just spoke at the KPMG board leadership conference mm-hmm. last week with a bunch of board members. So um, I watched, I learned and I listened. Mm-hmm. 
And if you don't get it the first time when they're trying to explain it to you, hopefully they'll keep trying Mm -hmm. and you can keep asking, you know, so that you can understand, you know, one of my friends uh, grew up um, in the islands in the Indies and um, she, uh, you know, her family is farmers, literally they're Mm -hmm. farmers and she has no one to teach her. And, we talked, we talk about that, you know, mm-hmm. about neither of us did. And so we get to help each other. And I, and I know I can, I can hear some of the barriers she has because mm-hmm. I lived them. Yeah. And so what I think is important is that we understand that sometimes we don't get it. And if we can help each other, you mm-hmm. know, keep listening, keep talking. Right. Um, I would say. Yeah, that I would agree with that. I, um, my mom was, I would call her an executive, had a, had a career and I watched her. But when I first began in my career, I watched, I observed, uh, and some of the nuances of meetings and how people talked and things. I just, I was a sponge. I just That's watched great. it, you know. Um, but you had said something there where you said uh, required to fit in. What What do you mean there? Well, you know, I remember there was someone at IBM that said, you don't act like an executive. And I said, <laughs> maybe they should act like me. That didn't go over well. Um, you know, so sometimes there's a persona, you know, there are personas. Actually, when I first started at IBM, this was many, many years ago, um, we were in uh, sales training and they told us we couldn't wear open-toed shoes because mm. it was too suggestive. <laughs> Because Those the toes, men would though, you know. be looking at our toes. <laughs> and now there's a whole lot more than toes going on. Yes. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast there. Oh my gosh. We weren't allowed to wear bright nail polish. Mm-hmm. We had rules like that, you yes. know? Right. Very interesting. So I still don't have open toed shoes for work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't either. I don't I don't either. Somebody even asked me that uh, about, you know, because they see my brand, how I dress, and they asked me what do you think about open toe shoes? Do you think those are okay? And I, I don't know. I, I don't do it. You know, <laughs> I don't do it. Now there are strappy sandals all over yeah, the place. Yeah, so exactly. Depends, but I'm like you. I tend to wear closed shoes. Right. But, uh, but I, I remember, I remember what the woman looked like that was teaching us this, and I was thinking, wow, mm-hmm. this is kind of amazing. Yeah. And yeah. in, in at IBM, I mean, very, um, very male dominated field you have here, and and so that's the. Uh, of course, the focus of the podcast in that, um, you know, you've been successful in a male-dominated field. You know, what have you learned? I have to believe that you have plenty of stories at IBM um, around gender bias. And we talked about, I want to talk about your company and what you're doing now. Um, but, you know, and, and broadening that bias, um, bias attribute. But, you know, tell me about your experience there, um, very smart, obviously, uh, coming into a big corporation. What have you learned? Are there stories there that you can talk about with gender gender bias? Actually, you know, I've lived this my whole life because, remember, I was an aerospace engineer, mm-hmm. an even smaller club. <laughs> yes. Women, right? <laughs> right. You know, so we were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, luckily, you know, when I was in college, my friends were, were cool about it. Some of them would tease the heck out of me. And, you know, one of the things about strong women I just want to mention about um, how pe- we're treated sometimes, if people keep 
like gnawing at you, teasing you, or actually using microaggressions, if you're a strong woman, eventually you rise up. Mm-hmm. And and one of our challenges, and you and I talked about this, Susan, is kind of keeping it calm, right? So how do you live through this, not let all these little things get to you? Um, because it could be that these little microaggressions are actually macroaggressions. You know, it could be that, you know, you know, if you keep on banging on something, yeah. <laughs> something going to give, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to be very wise about how we react and when we react. Mm-hmm. You can always go out with your girlfriends and have a Cosmo and go for it and really mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. And actually, that was one of our strategies at IBM. There are a couple of uh, girlfriends of mine, and we have ladies' night. And it's no holds barred. I call it a men in black moment, you know, which is the movie where they have that pen and you go beep, beep, and you forget everything. (laughs) So we can talk about work, our bosses, our kids, our spouses, anything. And, uh, And we can just dish, you know. And so you have to find a way to let it out without without having it um, derail you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've, you've got to have a forum, like go out and just, hey, what's said here at the bar stays here kind of thing, right, with yeah, your friends you know, yeah, and trust and so, that. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. But I've had, you know, many times, I guess, you know, you see, I try to ignore it, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, because I've lived it for so long, um, and it's not beneficial um, to get upset about it. Did you learn that early on? Let me ask you that. Did you? Did, and I learned it early on to not, yeah. to not, uh, you know, react to things. Um, yeah, and not worry about. It. Like I said, people would say, "Were you the only woman in the room?" I'm like, "Gosh, I don't." I really had to think about mm-hmm. it. I'm like, oh, "Let me go around." Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, no, no, because we're all wearing suits anyway, so we all kind of look the same, you mm-hmm. know. Right. Like I have to go around and remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you you learn it early on. Um, I even you know tell young kids like you know if the people really bother you, what you have to do is ignore it. <laughs> just, they're just hoping to get a rise out of you. So the more you ignore the bullies, the more it drives them crazy. Right. Um, you know, but then just walk the other way. So you have mm-hmm. to learn to you know to walk to- away. Did you have bullies? Oh yeah, doesn't everybody? I think so, but I I thought maybe it was only me. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. It can't you know, it could be anywhere. It could be in your community, your family, at school. I'm sure everyone ran mm-hmm. to school. You know, little kids are going through that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's terrible how the social media is even worse. So, yeah, but you just have to learn how to run. I remember one of my girlfriends, uh, I tend to be very loyal and very dedicated. So I'm in a job I'm like, oh, I love this. I, they say, people will say, you love your job. I'm like, I always love my job. I mean, mm-hmm. I take the job because I love it and I'm impassioned. I'm Italian. I can't help it. You know, mm-hmm. I really get into it. I'm very mm-hmm. passionate mission focused. Um, But one of my girlfriends said, you know, sometimes you need an exit strategy. Mm -hmm. So if you're in an environment where it doesn't feel right, and another HR leader said to me, if you're in a bad relationship, it's your job to get out, Mm -hmm. whether it's a personal relationship, a business relationship. And so that's one of the things that um, was hard for me to do, because I tend to be uh, I'm a fixer. I'm an engineer, right? I can fix almost anything, right? right? So I'm sure I can fix this relationship. It doesn't always happen that way. No. And so one of the learnings that's been very difficult for me because I didn't want to accept it is to have an exit strategy, mm-hmm. even if it's before you you thought you were going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not a good environment for you, get out of there before it actually limits what you can do in the future. So that's mm-hmm. one of the, the hard lessons I think I learned. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, stories there around... Uh, Somebody, you know, not being on your team, bullying you, not a good relationship where you said, I need it. I need a way out. I've, I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. Um, I'm not good at that. That's the point. Me neither. You know, but you did good. it, right? 
Well, uh, kind of not not as um, not as quickly as I should have in some mm-hmm. situations yeah. because I am so loyal and dedicated mm-hmm. to what I I promise to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one that I would say people should think about more. Mm-hmm. I I looked up microaggression because I'm sure I've heard this term before, but I've heard it several times from you. And I'm going to read the definition I printed out today. Microaggression is a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights and insults toward any group, particularly culturally marginalized groups. That's a lot. So. It is a lot. So let, let me explain it kind mm-hmm. of. Okay. Okay. So like, you know, when someone says something to you and it like, oh, it puts a little ding in your heart. Mm-hmm. This happened to me like last week I was at this event. I was actually on the main tent speaking at this event mm-hmm. and this guy didn't know I was going to be on the main tent the next day and we're talking and uh, his girlfriend is with him. We're chatting. And so I said, so what do you do? He goes, well, I'm on a few boards in biotech, but I'm sure you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> You're sure I wouldn't understand it. Okay. And I didn't say it that way, but I was upset, you know, inside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm leading, you know, a global working group of 230 people working on clinical internet of things and cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a book coming out in connected healthcare. I'm like, you think I don't understand this stuff? Does he know, does he know what your background and what you do? Well, no, because you don't wear your bio like, you know. Okay, so he didn't know. He didn't know, and he didn't realize I was going to be in the main tent the next day and then then doing a breakout session. Um, But that happens to me rather often. You know, um, I was at another event where I was going to be on the main tent stage, and um, there was a guy doing a poster, and I said, oh, maybe you could – I said, oh, I'd like to hear your poster. He looked at me, like, derogatorily, looked me up and down and said, oh, do you understand optimization? And I was like – you know, meanwhile, you know, I'm a rock, you know, I used to design space missions. Rocket scientist. So I'm a rocket scientist, right? <laughs> so I just look at them and I always try to be gracious in these situations. I said, you know, I think I can handle it. Why don't you give me a try? And um, so he did. And then I was standing at the poster. Another man who knew who I was came over. And at the time, I was a chief innovation officer and senior vice president of Internet, too. And um, so we're standing, this, they're talking to each other. And I look at the gentleman who knows me, and I said, um, I need to ask this gentleman a question, meaning the guy who said, do you understand optimization? Mm-hmm. I said, but I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, and I don't want you to walk away. I said to the man who knew me. <laughs> then I looked at the other man who said, do you understand optimization? And I said, why did you say that to me? Hmm. Good. And then I was as quiet as the sound you just heard. Just and listen. I waited until he said something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, making facial expressions. Like he was probably trying to think, oh, why did I say that? It's unconscious bias. <laughs> right? Yes. And then a microaggression comes out. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because when he was explaining his poster to me, I was thinking he's doing this all wrong. It was cognitive computing. I worked on the Watson strategy at IBM. He was forking these two things. He should have been bringing them together. But I was like, let me not make the guy feel bad, you know. So I'll be nice here. I'll be the grown-up. Someone has to be <laughs> That's evolved. That's evolved, Florence. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I looked at this other man who knew me, and I said, you know what I'm talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm conscious bias. <laughs> <laughs> And so he looked at this man who had dissed me and said, she understands optimization and regression and a lot more things than you'll ever understand. I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. You know, and um, so this happens to me all the time. 
you know, I'm wearing a suit. I look like a grown up still. You know, I'm not cute and young mm -hmm. and wearing pink as much anymore. I don't have a headband on. What's the problem here? Right. So this happens a lot. And those are microaggressions. What happens, though, Susan, is that I think of this as I have armor on you. Put on your armor and you go out there, right? Mm -hmm. And then these little things happen. Ding. It's like a chink in your arm. Ding, ding. And, and before you know it, it's like a hailstorm. Ding, 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 mm -hmm. ding, 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 ding. And then people go, I've had it. You know, and then either you react or you leave. Mm -hmm. And then they say, gosh, why do women leave these jobs? And you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, And they can't see it. It's like when you're hurting inside. People mm -hmm. can't see it. You know? And those microaggressions really add up. So now when I do my diversity and inclusion workshops, we I actually hand out a list of microaggressions. These mm -hmm. are examples of microaggressions. And people like gobble it up. Like they hold it like, there's no way I'm losing this piece of paper. Because they don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. But... It yeah. looks like you what I mean, because I can see you, they can't see us. But, yeah. you know, the way you're nodding, have you felt those before? I have. Thank you for asking. I have, I could probably write a book about all the microaggressions. And it's more a sense and instinct about how people, men or women, think about me. Or there's there's this sort of subtle wanting to put someone in her place, you know, and it makes me, let me just say, it makes me very sad that there is a word called microaggression. It makes me sad that there is a word called misogyny. And yes, I I think those some of those unconscious biases are so prevalent in our business world and, and our world around us that uh, strong women that are smart and good at what they do, do bring armor into the workplace, right? Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, you know, what I what I know and what I think is that we all have microaggressions against us, mm -hmm. everybody, mm -hmm. men, women, robots, you know, I tease and say, someday I'll be doing a diversity and inclusion session and a robot's going to peek their head around the corner and say, nobody understands my artificial intelligence algorithms and don't trust me, but they programmed me. Why mm -hmm. is that happening? You know? Right. And so, you know, we all have it. And even like tonight, you know, my son is going to join me at this Women Corporate Directors event. I said, oh, I'd like to bring him as a guest. They said, oh, just so you know, it's going to be all women. I'm like, that's fine. You know, so we have we have to lead by example. So we should be inclusive. Mm -hmm. Like and when I was at IBM and um, they put me in a role to be an executive on loan to the Society of Women Engineers for a year, it was a great, it was really a lot of fun. And so our executive vice president actually said they were going to take a, a picture of us from the magazine cover. And so he said, everybody in this, in this, um, in this picture has to be a member before they take the picture. I said, well, then Nick, you should become a member. And mm -hmm. he said, I can't be a member. I'm a man. I said, yes, you can. And so I said, we're actually equal opportunity. We try to lead by example. You know, men can join the Society of mm -hmm. Women Engineers. One of my uh, girlfriends, Bernice, her husband, Jeff, was actually the first male trustee for the Society of Women Engineers. So we need to lead by example. Right. Um, and Nick, God bless him, ran to mm -hmm. his office up in the chairman's you know, Flora and Armonk at corporate headquarters became mm -hmm. a sweet member and he still is. He gets mm -hmm. a magazine, you know. And um, so we all have to teach inclusion. That's mm -hmm. how I see it. Yes. You know, we need to be inclusive, different color, different religion, different mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. And that's where I want to go with you here. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things is that you are a rocket scientist, uh, aerospace engineer, worked at all these companies and the, and the education but what you do now is you're a consultant and you do workshops 
on diversity and inclusion. So tell me what the workshops are about. Where do you see, you know, where do you see the patterns within the, talk about the companies, you had said government, uh, you know, commercial firms, uh, you know, take advantage of your services. What are the patterns you see? What are you seeing as the blind spots within these companies as you train people in inclusion? The biggest issue is the inclusion side. So you can have diversity without inclusion. You can hire people that look different, act Mm. different. But if you don't make it an inclusive environment, they don't participate at their full level or they leave Mm. or you're not getting the best value out of their minds, you know? So they all say inclusion is the hardest part. Like you can use a metric and say, okay, I have this many of this version of human and this many of this version of human. Like, yeah, Mm. but is it an inclusive environment? Um, So I talk about um, the challenges of diversity. I talk about microaggressions and how different constituencies Um, experience them. Um, Non-binary people, people who don't um, identify specifically with being a man or specifically with being a woman. You know, it's a very fluid environment. Mm -hmm. People go back and forth with their sexual orientation and gender identities. Um, In California now, you can have, instead of just FNM as your your gender on your license, you can have an X, and one of my friends does, Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people do. And so um, teaching them about microaggressions and unconscious bias that's felt by these different groups. And mm-hmm. often, and there are a lot of statistics around this, so we usually present that to kind of set a tone. So veterans, as an example, and I was in a meeting mm-hmm. recently, I said, what do you mean veterans? How are veterans dissed? I'm like, oh my gosh, this has been since the Vietnam War. I remember, you know, during the Vietnam War, if you were in it, people blamed you for the war. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. these people are putting their lives on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, and so veterans, you know, can go through it. People of color, different colors. Right. So your inclusion is not just women, men. It's w- people mm-hmm. of color. It's gay. It's transgender. Right. Uh, veterans, Absolutely. you know, so it's different groups of people. And how do we work together without bringing in preconceived notions about how people are, who people are? You're absolutely um, right, Susan. Yeah. You get it. I, you, well, you know, I get it, <laughs> but, but not just around women and men, around everyone. And someone said to me today that I was, inter- you know, interviewing and she said, you know, companies, and I want to get her to cite the stats, but companies which are diverse, not only diverse, like you say, and inclusive perform better. Yeah. You know, I want to see the stats on that, but I believe it, you know. They do have statistics. Um, there are some um, organizations that have been publishing them. A lot of people don't believe them. It's I don't say it's like climate change, but, you know, there are statistics and people don't really believe them. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have to decide that they want it to be inclusive. One thing that that helps is if there are humans you love that are going through this, you know, Mm -hmm. so, you know, executive men with daughters is a very powerful ally group now. I used to say, if we could put in the water that all these senior executives had to have daughters, I think that'll really help us. Not until they have a daughter do they really understand, I think sometimes, that uh, what she goes through, you know, and what she's going through. So, For people of color, you know, there was a, a woman of color in a meeting I recently did. 
and uh, on diversity and inclusion, where we talk about all these statistics and microaggressions, unconscious bias, examples of it. And some people are shocked by this, like they have never thought of it before. And I say, you know, it's like when you when you learn a new word, you'd never heard it before, and now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, now that you know about microaggressions and you know about unconscious bias, keep an eye out for it. Yes. It's almost, ha- I remember, I don't know if you ever went to... Um, Toastmasters, but yes. they teach them mm-hmm. speak. Speaking. They used to have an um counter years ago. They would mm. count how many ums you use because ah. it's a distraction. I right. said maybe you should have a microaggression counter. Mm-hmm. Keep keep track of how many microaggressions you see in a mm-hmm. day. You'll be shocked. But one of the women who was a woman of color came up to me after the session and she said, "Please keep doing what you're doing. It's because of people like you." that we have more opportunity. Mm-hmm. So please keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like, wow. And this is a successful mm-hmm. adult woman, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's difficult, right. you know? Yeah, that's that's good. I've got a few more. I could just spend hours talking to you today. I just have so many uh, questions I want to cover, but uh, there are a few that I want to I want to hit before we have to wrap up. Um, uh, you had said that we have high expectations of ourselves and we're never good enough for ourselves. And women um, are either criticized for being not confident enough or too confident. Tell me about those things you said. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's very easy for women. I know myself and my, my girlfriends, you know, we would talk when we're younger and I think still we think, you know, I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. My hair is too red. It's too this, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my, whatever is whatever. There's always something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're great the way we are. And that's a very, yeah, I heard you. Oh, Self-acceptance right? and self-compassion, right? So sigh, yeah. Oh, you know, and so we actually created this little podcast at IBM years ago. We went to this event called uh, ICWIS, the International Conference for Women Engineers and Scientists. It was in Korea. And we always talk about lack of confidence here. And I looked at one of my girlfriends. I said, they're just like us. All the women around the planet, nobody believes in themselves. So we created a podcast series called I Believe in Me. Mm. And they were little two or three. IBM, I believe in me. IBM, I know. It was kind of handy that was the name of our company. (laughs) Um, And so we created this little podcast series and put it on like, you know, a digital jukebox. We used to call it years ago before we had all these cool websites. And um, and so I would get notes from people around the planet saying, oh, I download them and listen on, you know, the, the bus in Beijing on the way to work, you know, how inspiring. And we would have different types of humans, women, men, you know, different ages, talk about a time when they didn't believe in themselves, how they got through it and what the results were. Mm-hmm. And so that's that was a really fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it helps you remember. And what I always say, too, is you always have to believe in yourself, especially when other people don't believe in you. Yes. That is the most important time. That's a beautiful thing to say. Right? <laughs> believe in yourself, even though people don't always believe in you. You just have to have that core confidence, right? The core, like, I know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And, and it's especially when they don't believe in you, when you're getting attacked or you're getting mm-hmm. dissed or you're getting ignored or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's when it's really important that you have a strong core. And the other suggestion I have is to have what I call your personal cheerleaders in life. Yes. These are the people you will call when you feel like that, like, oh, this, you know, you're all down like this, like, you know, and, um, and they'll say, oh, but remember that time you got promoted? Remember that scholarship? Remember that bowling trophy? <laughs> You're embarrassed by it. You know about my bowling trophy, I know. 
I had one too. Oh, so exciting, you know. 15 years old, most improved average. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It was a validation, right? Yeah. And so they'll, ba- they'll remind you, they'll give you your validation points. Mm-hmm. And you need, and so keep those personal cheerleaders close. It could be your friends, your parents, mm-hmm. your, your brothers, someday your kids when you have children, you right. know. They can, you know, I remember when I was going through a hard time. Um, and my daughter looked at me and said, mommy, she was like 10. I don't know why you're on, uh, I don't know why you're on his side when everyone else is on your side. Hmm. Whoa. Out of the mouths of babes. Yes. You know, there was one person who was really, you know, bullying me and, and uh, providing a great uh, challenge for me. And look at what she said to me, mm-hmm. right? Everyone else is on your side. Mm-hmm. So, that's the point of, especially when others don't believe in you, pivot, turn and go, oh, but look at all these people. Look at all these great things I've done. Right. And so you really always have to believe in yourself. And what men and any human or robot can do is to validate. You know, after I spoke at an event a couple of years ago at Stony Brook University, one of the men came up and said, I have a daughter who wants to go into STEM. What can I do? He said, what do you wish other people did for you? Mm. That's what I'd like to do for her. I'm like, oh gosh, you are one smart dude. And I said, validate, validate, validate. Mm-hmm. But the, the, one of the important things I think you said here in, in that explanation is, I think people look at you and me and they think, ah, oh, they've always got it together. They're confident. They're successful. They never have down days or they never have a lacking in confidence or any kind of insecurity. And maybe they don't say that, but I have a guess that they do. But what you're saying is what I experience and that is we have days where things happen and you know people say things or whatever and you do need personal cheerleaders you need people on your team that you can confide in and just say god this happened and then they're they're the people that pump you up right it's my husband it's my good girlfriends we need those people right and you and i met if i can tell the story because dennis clark who i used to work with at ibm years Mm -hmm. ago I was going through something similar. A lot of people like to tamp me down and keep me out of the way, maybe because I am, you know, a little smart and yes. they want to make sure I'm not smarter than they are. Yeah. Um, and so I had that kind of going on and he had to work with me because these other guys were out and there was a big executive coming to town. We were working on something together and he looked at me and said, you'd make a great manager. And I could tell by his voice that other people would say, no, you could never do that. Right. And I'll never forget. I remember sitting there working on foils for like working on my term, him sitting right on my right side. I vividly remember this moment. And I thanked him for it. You know, when we got in contact again, Mm -hmm. many years later saying, Dennis, that was like a really important moment for me. Mm -hmm. And I know that he then went and spoke well about me when other people weren't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's something you remember forever when people are there for you. Right. And you can do that for others, you know, Mm -hmm. find people like that. You know, when you see someone that's not getting supported, go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's end with a question. Um, You know, you and I are of about the same genre, Uh, a lot of years of experience and owning companies and, um, you know, corporate environments as you look at the women today that are in, you know, in 25 years old, 35, 45, what would you say to them are the most important things that uh, they need to keep in mind as they're advancing in their career? I mean, there, you know, there are plenty of self-help books, but what would you say the most important things are as we wrap up here? As we said, always believe in yourself, especially mm-hmm. when other people don't believe in mm-hmm. you. 
Um, find those personal cheerleaders in your life and just keep going. You know, I had a gentleman last week after I spoke and he said, how have you been so successful? You know, and, and like we were talking, I'm like, oh, I have, you know, like, is it always something mm-hmm. you haven't accomplished? And I said, I just keep going. Yeah, I just keep going. And so that's what I would say. And find people that you can talk to, you know, role models, mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, another young lady reached out to me. Um, very interestingly, I met her at a Women in Security and Privacy Conference at DEF CON, a hacking conference last year. <laughs> and she doesn't know her parents either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we started talking about that, her real parents, um, it was a real bonding opportunity, you know, and she was like, wow, and you've done all that. I'm like, I know. I say, you know, it's amazing. I'm as normal as I am based on everything. I've been doing. <laughs> um, you know, find people that can help you. And she just reached out again yesterday and I've been mentoring her on her resume and what jobs mm-hmm. look for. And the thing I've learned with her is make sure you're focusing on what you want to do, not what other people tell you you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Because what will happen is you look up and say, why am I doing this? You know, if it's not really what you want. And people were, she thought she should be going for this certain role. And I said, but all of you, you want to do technology. Your whole life is about policy. Why, why are you, you know, torturing yourself like that and trying to compare yourself to people who really are like really technical? Why don't you go for your policy? So she contacted me yesterday saying, I totally, I took your, your, uh, you know, your input. I totally revent my resume, but it takes a while to ingest and digest this new information. It Mm -hmm. took her a while. She wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. Um, It took her a few months, but she did it, you know, but she had to look inside herself. I said, you decide you could do this but maybe you want to do mm-hmm. that look at all this stuff you've done did you love it she said yeah i'm like then why don't you keep doing it right you know so take the input mm-hmm. um and just keep going just keep going i mean if i hear anything in this podcast all the all the women i've talked to that is that we we don't wake up thinking i'm a woman in a man's world i'm gonna i have to fight 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 they just know what they have to do and they come in and they do it you know, yeah. that's what I see. That's what I've done. That's what you've done, right? We just come in and we do it. And then every once in a while, there's a little chink and we're like, why did you say that? <laughs> what did you say? You know, so just get up and keep keep going, you know. Yeah. And find someone you can talk to about it. Yeah. <laughs> to get it find someone chest. and you can talk to about it, right? Get it out of your our heart and out of the front of your brain, you know, right. so it doesn't get in your way. That's important, too. Yes. And I'm very proud of you, too, Susan. So oh. thank you for everything you've done and everything you've accomplished and how you're sharing all this insight with other people. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. I really appreciate you joining me today, Florence. Thanks for taking the time, giving back, lifting as you climb, and uh, appreciate uh, the chance to meet you and having Dennis introduce us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingShe and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.